You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Happy Blue Friday and happy draft day after not having a pick in yesterday's first round. Cutout versions of John Schneider and Pete Carroll. They're going to be replaced today by Seattle's brain trust in the flesh at the VMAC as the team is slated to pick 56th overall near the end of the second round. I'm going to be proposing a few potential trade downs from that spot, plus breaking down the best remaining players who could be in play for the Seahawks once they are on the clock at the end of the second round. Get all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes with the Locked On Today podcast. Host Peter Bukowski updates you on all the latest news in every major sport with the help of local experts. Follow the Locked On Today podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get podcasts. Now for your lead story here on Locked On Seahawks, everyone knows John Snyder loves to execute draft weekend trades. Just a few years ago in 2019, the Seahawks had four picks. They traded Frank Clark to the Chiefs to get an extra first rounder, a future second round pick. He turned the five selections into 11 new players with a total of seven draft weekend trades. One of those was going to trade up for DK Metcalf at the end of the second round as well. Last year, he orchestrated a pair of trades on draft weekend, went up in the second round again to get Daryl Taylor, and then later in the draft, he traded a future pick to get back into the seventh round and pick tight end Stephon Sullivan out of LSU. With the league low three picks, I think everyone, including their brother and sister, thinks the Seahawks are going to trade down. It seems inevitable. I still believe that's exactly what will happen, especially because there's still a lot of talent on the board I don't see there being a big drop-off from the end of the second to the early third round in terms of the caliber of talent they can land. The one thing that could really change this is if they've got their heart set on getting one of the top centers available and there's a run at that position and there's only one or two of those guys left, that might force their hand a little bit. But if they've got more options than that, then I absolutely expect that we're going to see them try to facilitate a trade to move down and recoup at least one or two picks. And I think there are some teams that could make it interesting here. Which teams are the ones to watch as trade partners? Anything can happen in the draft, just to make that clear. Teams I don't mention here easily could have a player they want to move up for and make a deal. The quarterback situation is going to be worth monitoring as well because all of your second tier of quarterbacks, your Davis Mills from Stanford and Kellen Mond from Texas A&M, Kyle Trask from Florida, those players are all still available And who knows when that second wave of runs at quarterbacks is going to take place. It could be early in the second round, middle of the second round. If the Seahawks are lucky, it'll be at the end of the round because that's going to help them potentially add an extra pick onto a deal because there may be a bit of a bidding war. So, so many different factors you have to consider. The draft board, it's always fluid. But there are three or four teams that really stand out to me going into round two. I see the moves moves these teams made yesterday. One of them did not make any moves yesterday, but I look at the landscape, who's available on the draft board, the picks these teams have, and these three or four teams really jump out to me as potential trade partners for the Seahawks. I'm going to start with the one that to me is head and shoulders above everybody else. That's the Minnesota Vikings. The Vikings yesterday traded down from pick 14 with the New York Jets. The Jets actually sent their first and third rounder they got from the Seahawks in exchange for Jamal Adams as part of that deal. They also traded pick 66 as part of that 
trade. So they sent over three picks to move from 23 up to 14. The Vikings now have a bunch of third and fourth rounders. They have picks 66, 78, and 86, and they've got, I believe, four fourth-round picks. So it's feasible. Seattle could trade down 10 spots from 56 to 66 and also get a pair of fourth-round picks from the Vikings. Minnesota doesn't have a second-round pick, so this is a spot they could look to be aggressive, move up. So if I'm the Seahawks, I'm offering pick 56, four picks 66, and throw 119 and maybe 134 on top of it, and let's make a deal. I think if the right player is there, the Vikings may have a lot of interest in doing that because they have such a surplus in picks and they don't have a second rounder. Now, the next team here is in a much different situation. The Houston Texans, they did not have a first-round pick or a second-round pick entering this draft, and they need talent badly, especially with the Deshaun Watson situation right now. Maybe they're a team that could surprise and pick a quarterback. They're a team that it's really up in the air what we're going to see them do here. But they do have a lot of day three selections. So this would be the chance for them to be able to go up. If there's a player they really want at the end of the second round, you could move up 11 spots, go from 67 to 56, and then tack on a fourth and maybe a fifth rounder on top of that. That would be an adequate package for the Seahawks. And it's still fairly early in the third round. So to me, that would be another ideal situation for John Schneider to consider. The Philadelphia Eagles have already traded up once. We know Howie Roseman, their general manager, is about as aggressive as they come. And they have a boatload of day three selections to go with pick 70 early in the third round. I can see the Eagles, again, being aggressive. If there's the right player there, maybe there's a corner they like. They could certainly add offensive line help. I mean, there are a number of directions the Philadelphia Eagles could go. The Seahawks could trade down 14 spots, and you could ask for pick 123 and 150 and call it a day. You just added two more picks in the fourth and fifth round. They're going to help you be able to continue to supplement your roster. Those are the type of deals I expect John Snyder is going to be looking to make trading down. My real wild card in all of this is the Las Vegas Raiders. Now, there are rumors out there of internal friction in the front office, especially after the first-round pick that was made yesterday. A lot of people questioned the move at pick 17 to pick pick Alex Leatherwood, the tackle out of Alabama. The offensive line is in shambles because they got rid of a number of players, including trading Gabe Jackson to the Seahawks. So it wasn't a surprise to see him pick an offensive lineman. I just think a lot of people didn't view Leatherwood as a first-round pick, and they picked him at 17. So there's a lot of stuff going on, a lot of things going on in Las Vegas right now after that pick. And Mike Mayock, the general manager, has been under fire. John Gruden, the head coach, has been under fire. So with everything that's going on there, who knows how willing they're going to be to make a trade. But sometimes stuff like that can lead to desperation. And if there's a player they really want, the Raiders have picked 79 and pick 80. That's a big drop-off for the Seahawks going from 56 to 79. But if you could somehow get both of those picks, if there's the right player, you might be able to talk the Raiders into doing that. Seattle now has two really nice third rounders with more trade down flexibility. When you have two picks back to back like that, it does give you options. So I think the Raiders are a team. I'd be surprised if that trade comes to fruition, but because they have back to back thirds, I think that is something that could offer some intrigue if the Raiders want to move up. Seahawks are obviously going to be fielding calls for that pick unless there's a player they absolutely can't skip by. And maybe that ends up happening. But if I had hedge bets, I expected at least one trade down. And those four teams could all make a lot of sense going into the second round in Cleveland. When I return for the second quarter, speaking of this upcoming second round, 
who are the best players left on the board for the Seahawks to consider? I'm going to start on the offensive side of the football, especially the center position. No centers picked yesterday, so a lot of talent still on the board. Hopefully a few of those players can make it down to pick 56 for the Seahawks. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This episode is brought to you by 1010, a capsule collection of diamond rings that are responsibly sourced, limited edition designs at fair price points. 1010 is an exclusive collection of 10 creative styles of diamond rings designed by 10 of the most distinctive designers working today, rings sure to bring joy into her life. Using only diamonds responsibly sourced for Botswana, 10 female design masters have each produced a uniquely beautiful ring. Ideal for engagement, Mother's Day, or simply a beautiful conversation piece, they're the perfect way to bring light into her life. They're available now through Mother's Day only on BlueNile.com. Just search the words 10 by 10 This collection features high-quality, fine jewelry that will surprise and delight and fairly priced so that you can give her something special and truly meaningful. When I looked at several of these rings, Michelle Fontaine's ring stood out as the one that I'd buy as a gift. It's a great conversation piece, unique and cool. Make sure to check all these out. If you're on the hunt for the perfect, unique ring she'll treasure forever, you're definitely going to want to check this out. They won't be around for long, so find them now by searching the words 10 by 10 only at BlueNile.com. Welcome back to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Blue Friday edition. This is your host, Corbin Smith. One round is in the books in the 2021 NFL Draft. 32 picks done, and a lot of really good players left to the board, especially at key areas of need for the Seahawks. Not a single center was drafted on Thursday night. That's the fifth time in the last 10 years that that has happened. So this is not a position that is traditionally favored in the first round compared to the rest of the offensive line. Corners off the board are largely the ones who had been mocked in the first round. Your players like J.C. Horn, Patrick Sertain, Those players were off the board in the top 15 as expected. Caleb Farley was picked as well by the Titans, but really there weren't any big surprises as far as the cornerback position goes. Plenty of star power still at receiver and the offensive tackle position as well. Now the real question from Seattle's perspective, will any of these players make it to the 56th overall selection or whenever they end up picking. As I talked last quarter, there's a very good chance that will not be where they pick. It just depends how the draft board unfolds. Let's look at some of the best players that are still available going into day two. Starting on offense, I have to begin with the center position because as I've talked about countless times this offseason, Ethan Posick being re-signed does not mean that he is going to be the long-term guy. You could still make the argument the right players here, the Seahawks, are going to draft that center. And right now, they've got a ton of intriguing options that are still available for them. Now, a few of these guys, I will be very surprised if they get past pick 40, let alone getting to pick 56. And that starts with Creed Humphrey, to me, the number one center in this class, three-year starter for the Oklahoma Sooners, two-time captain, Zero sacks allowed last year. He is a stalwart in pass protection. Does he have a little shorter arms than he'd like? Yeah, but to me at the center position, that's not a big deal. He mirrors well. Not a guy that you're going to overpower, which is a big deal in the NFC West. He's under 310 pounds, but he plays bigger than that. And though I wouldn't say he's a mauler, he's not going to get pushed around the run game either. He blocks well in the move. You can send him as a pulling guard or a pulling center, and he can go out and get the job done. He can block at the second level. So, I would be ecstatic if I'm a Seahawks fan and he ends up falling to 56. I just don't see it happening, though. The other couple centers here, maybe there's a little better chance they have 
that maybe there's a little better chance they're available. And we'll start off with Landon Dickerson from Florida State. If he didn't have his torn ACL to end the 2020 season, then Dickerson's probably a guy that's gone in the first 40 picks too. There are a lot of people that thought he was the best center in this class. And you look at the way he plays. He's a big dude, 6'6", 333 pounds. He plays to that size. Powerful base, heavy hands. He likes to pancake defenders. He's had a few issues with athletic defensive tackles, but his wide base makes him really difficult to maneuver around. So pass rushers have a tough time getting to the quarterback. He's not going to be walked back into the pocket. So if he's healthy, if the medicals check out, Dickerson's a player that I've seen mocked to the Seahawks quite a bit. Because of that injury history, he has torn his ACL twice, I believe. He's had a couple other injuries too. That durability, those durability question marks, could make him available at pick 56. And then the question is, do the Seahawks think he's healthy enough to pick? And they've certainly had some misses with the medical department in recent years. Quinn Miners, probably my second favorite center in this draft class. Even though he's coming from Wisconsin Whitewater, a D3 school, he held his own and then some at the Senior Bowl. Had an incredible pro day performance as well. 499, 40-yard dash of 320 pounds, 32-inch vertical. And I just love the workouts this guy does. Very untraditional. It makes me think of Rocky Four when Rocky Balboa's in Russia and he's running up mountains and lifting logs. That's the kind of player we're talking about in Quinn Miners, and he can move people. He's going to need some work with his footwork. Obviously, you've got to have some concern about the jump in competition. But again, he handled it at the Senior Bowl. And he can play guard. He can play center. I don't think he makes it to 56 either. I think he's a really good fit for the Seahawks. But I think there will be several teams that have interest in him before he gets to the Seahawks at pick 56. So really, those three players, Dickerson, I think, has the best chance to get there because of his injury history. If his medicals check out, I think he gets picked before then. Josh Myers and Kendrick Green probably are the two most realistic ones for the Seahawks at that center position. Green also can play guard. Josh Myers coming from Ohio State, maybe the safest center pick. I don't know about his ceiling compared to some of the other players I just mentioned, but he's rock solid. He's coming from a really good football program at Ohio State. He's a guy that plays bigger than his size. He's tough as nails. And Kendrick Green's a guy that brings a lot of athleticism, a lot of lateral quickness that really fits zone blocking schemes well he's had some question marks in terms of picking up stunts and blitzes and pass protection he's going to have to play with better awareness in that regard but he started games the big 10 at guard and center so he's a prospect i like a lot those two players i think are probably the best bets to be available at 56 when the seahawks are on the clock now that's not the only offensive lineman there's certainly some guards i could talk about but the tackle position i think is what's worth noting here because Dwayne Brown's going to be 36 in August. Brandon Shell is going to be a free agent after this next year. He and Brown are both entering the last year of their contracts. They don't really have an heir apparent on the roster for either of those players because Jamarco Jones is actually entering the final year of his rookie deal, and he's mostly been playing guard up to this point for the Seahawks. So Cedric Abway, he's probably not your long-term guy. You're going to need to draft a tackle at some point, and there are several good ones. Now, Tevin Jenkins... It would be a dream for the Seahawks if he somehow fell to 56. This guy just fits the profile of what the Seahawks love to have in the offensive line. A mauler that loves to knock people off the line of scrimmage, underrated in pass protection, just a mean, nasty player. I thought would be gone in the first 32 picks, but he's still on the board. I don't think he lasts more than the first couple picks. I, I would be stunned if the Bengals let him slip past him early in the second round. So I'm not even going to dive into him. I don't think there's any way he's there. I, I feel the same way about Dylan Radens coming out of North Dakota State. A little smaller guy at around 300 pounds, but he plays bigger and he has a mean streak too. 
played really well at the Senior Bowl, maybe has some guard versatility. Two players that I think could be there at 56, Liam Eichenberg from Notre Dame. I'm not quite as big of a fan of him as some of the other draft analysts out there. I see major issues with his hand placement. That can be coached up, though. He's more athletic than I thought he was, at least based on his athletic testing. And Notre Dame, they churn out really, really good NFL linemen. So Eichenberg would make sense at 56 if the Seahawks want to go that direction. Spencer Brown from Northern Iowa is a really athletic tackle, six foot eight. He's got some fundamental stuff that'll need to be shored up. Probably not ready to play, but that's okay. Seattle's got two starters in the tackle spots. They need a developmental player that can eventually start. Spencer Brown could be that guy. And Walker Little coming from Stanford at one point was one of the top recruits coming into the, one of the top recruits in the entire nation entering the 2017 season and was outstanding his freshman year. 2018 plays okay, but you look at 2019, he had an injury cost him most of the year. He sat out all of last year. And I just look at Walker Little, and I think this guy at one point was a can't-miss prospect. He's really light in his feet, outstanding pass protector. Not going to be an imposing run blocker, but he's good as a zone blocker because of his footwork, good to the second level. I just think he's a player that's being slept on a little bit, and I think there's a good chance he's there at 56. Might be a player the Seahawks have a lot of interest in when you're looking at long-term roster building. I think Walker Little could make a lot of sense there at 56. And then the receiver position, you've got Metcalf, you've got Lockett. But after that, the Seahawks have a pretty big gap in terms of depth. They do like Freddie Swain. Right now, he would be your number three receiver. They have not added any receivers in free agency, though. They lost David Moore. There are a couple of Moores in this draft that could be available in the second round that would be intriguing additions. I think Elijah Moore is very similar to couple of the players I mentioned earlier at the tackle position, Tevin Jenkins being one of them. I think Elijah Moore is gone first few picks of the second round. I don't think there's any way he's there at pick 56. Rondale Moore from Purdue is probably going to be gone too, though it's not impossible he makes it down that far. If he's there at 56, Pete Carroll and John Snyder are going to have a really hard time not taking him because he is a stick of dynamite on offense and special teams. He would be a blast to watch in Shane Waldron's offense. Deami Brown from North Carolina, 4-4-4 speed at around 6'1", 199 pounds. Scored a bunch of touchdowns the last two years. Averaged more than 20 yards per reception during his sophomore and junior season. So this dude is just dynamic. He is as good of a downfield threat as you're going to find in this draft. He's had some dr- drop issues, but he was getting some first-round buzz going into this process. So I'd be surprised if he's there at 56, but maybe that's a guy that slips down because there are so many good receivers and there are a number of other positions that still have a lot of talented players on the board. The two guys that I think there's a really good chance are there at 56, Dwayne Eskridge from Western Michigan. He's an older prospect. I believe he'll be 24 when the season starts, but this kid has speed to burn. He might be your second best deep threat in this class behind Deami Brown in terms of going downfield. I, I suppose Jalen Waddle needs to be on that list too. But he is in that group as far as guys that can take the top off of defenses. He's returned punts and kicks. He has a former corner background. You know Pete Carroll likes those guys that have played multiple spots like that. So Dwayne Eskridge is a player that I have heard some buzz that maybe the Seahawks have some interest in. Maybe at 56, I think he's a guy trading down. I'd be more comfortable picking him because of his age, but he's a playmaker. And Monre St. Brown out of USC, maybe not the twitchiest athlete at the receiver position, but a really crisp route runner out of the slot, really soft hands. 
he could be a player that makes sense for the Seahawks as well. So I just listed off a bunch of guys. There are a lot of options. Who knows how many of these players are there at 56 or whenever the Seahawks pick, but they've got options at multiple positions of need on offense. When I come back in the third quarter, I'm going to switch gears over to defense. Plenty of good corners available, but there are other position groups the Seahawks might want to consider as well if certain players drop to pick 56. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Are you looking for a way to boost your workout game? Are you seeking a delicious protein bar without the sugar and carbs? Enter in the Built Bar, 18 amazing flavors, including nut and non-nut flavors. Some of the best ones, caramel brownie, cookies and cream, apple almond crisp, peanut butter, double chocolate. You're going to have a tough time eating just one. These bars are covered in 100% chocolate, soft, easy to chew. It's great for the health-conscious guy. Lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. Bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber, and they're great for a keto diet. Remember to use the promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off your order. Welcome back to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Blue Friday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith, getting ready to enter day two of the 2021 NFL Draft. The Seahawks, they weren't involved on night one. No first-round picks after trading for Jamal Adams last July but they do have a pick in the second round, pick number 56. Continuing to look at some of the best players that are still on the board available going into round two. We're switching gears over to defense now. Cornerback, in my opinion, might be the biggest need for the Seahawks, at least long-term. They don't have any players other than Gavin Heslop under contract beyond the 2021 season. You have a number of players like DJ Reed, Akella Witherspoon, who they just got from the 49ers, those players, Trey Flowers as well, all are entering the final year of their contract. So one of those guys, maybe two of them, end up having solid seasons and the Seahawks extend them. But there are a lot of question marks to this position, and there's a ton of talent still on the board. I think Efiatu Melifanwu from Syracuse is going to get swept up pretty quick. You're just talking about a kid with too many traits. He's more polished than his brother Obi Melifanwu was coming out of UConn a few years ago, a guy that was really productive at Syracuse. With his 6'3 height, the long arms, the freakish athletic ability, a 41-plus-inch vertical, he is going to be gone well before the Seahawks have an opportunity to pick him, at least in my opinion. Maybe he ends up falling, maybe in part because his brother has been a bust up to this point, but I don't see that happening. I think he's going to be off the board, but that doesn't mean there are not going to be options for the Seahawks to consider. Tyson Campbell out of Georgia, maybe a little less refined of a corner, but again, a guy with the size, the long arms playmaking ability on the football he'll come up and he'll tackle you he, he loves to press people and he's coming from one of the best programs in college football I think Campbell is a player that maybe you have an outside chance he slips down to 56 but he's probably going to go in the 40s is where I'm looking at right now so he's somebody that could be out there Benjamin St. Juiced he's a guy that's still getting some day three buzz in some draft circles but I can see the Seahawks picking him on day two because he fits what they love he's six foot three 200 plus pounds, had a really impressive pro day when you look at his change of direction skills. This guy ran a 6.66 three-cone drill at that size, and he had a solid 40-yard dash time to go with it. His ball skills have been in question, but he looked really good at the senior bowl. He was getting his hands on the football. He just had no picks during his college career, so some teams might be a little bit turned off by that, but he'll come up and he'll hit you. He'll press you at the line of scrimmage. He just looks like a Seahawks corner. 
He is a player that I think there's a very strong possibility could be there at 56. A couple other names to throw out there. Paulson Adebo from Stanford did not play last year. I think if he enters the draft a year ago before the COVID-19 pandemic began, I think there's a chance that he is a second-round pick in last year's draft. I've seen anywhere from second to fifth round evaluations on him. I have him on the upper end of that spectrum. I think this kid's a playmaker, a ton of passes, defense, and interceptions. He's had a few issues with double moves, but I think that can be coached out of him. Again, another long corner, maybe not as lengthy as the Seahawks have preferred, a little under 32-inch arms, but he is a player that makes a lot of sense with his ball skills and his play style for the Seahawks. Kelvin Joseph and Robert Rochelle out of Kentucky and Central Arkansas, respectively. Those two players are also still on the board as potential options. Joseph's got some character question marks when he left Kentucky, not exactly on the best of terms, and Rochelle's coming from FCS level. So, of course, that's going to be worth wondering where he fits in. He got injured during the Senior Bowls, really didn't get to see what he could do against the best of the best, but an incredible physical specimen that had one of the best pro days that I have seen across the board. He checks off all of Seattle's size and athletic thresholds, so he might be a player that they trade down once or twice, could be in consideration at the cornerback position. A few other spots on defense that could be up for debate in the second round. I think that when you've looked at mock drafts, most people have been sticking with corner being the primary need for the Seahawks on defense. Defensive tackle, they did just sign Robert Kendiche the free agent who hasn't played in a game for two years, that's not going to stop them from drafting a defensive tackle, especially after losing Jaron Reed. Davion Nixon, I think, is probably going to be gone pretty quick. There were no defensive tackles picked in the first round. To me, he is the best DT in this class. Barmore out of Alabama being a close second. I just think the pass rushing flexibility that you get from Davion Nixon, he's number one in my book. I think both those guys are going to be off the board. There are a few other players that could be worth consideration at that spot, though. Aleem McNeil out of North Carolina State. Maybe not the pass rushing presence of some of the other defensive tackles that are going to be drafted in this range, but he's a player that intrigues me because of his size and his run stuffing ability could play that nose tackle spot and also has played some three tech as well. So he's a player that I'm intrigued by Milton Williams. We want to talk about an incredible prospect as far as athleticism at 284 pounds, a sub four, seven 40 yard dash 38 inch vertical jump. So he's a freak athlete. Didn't have the greatest production on paper, but you see the potential for him to be a really good pass rushing three tech in the NFL with proper coaching. And so he's a guy that makes a lot of sense for me at the defensive tackle position as well. I think Levi Anzurike out of Washington is also a player to consider keeping him in the Pacific Northwest. The kid's athletic enough. Uh, he's got pass rushing upside. We haven't necessarily seen it translate to the field. He opted out last year as well. So another player that you kind of have that uneven evaluation, but he is tantalized. This is, again, another guy that you bring in, you coach him up, could be a really effective three-tech pass rusher in the NFL playing in a 4-3 scheme. So I think defensive tackle is a position that could be considered. And even linebacker, you got a couple of Ohio State players that might be good fits in the Sam spot, Baron Browning as well as Pete Warner, both those guys coming from a school that has quite a reputation for developing linebackers. And maybe my X factor at that linebacker spot, a guy that was starting to get some first-round buzz out of Purdue you look at some draft boards, he's still in the 200s, but Derek Barnes out of Purdue, who's played defensive end as well, he is a player that I could see the Seahawks falling in love with because he's got good size, positional versatility, he can drop back in coverage. 
Jabril Cox out of LSU, the best coverage linebacker in this class. Chaz Surratt, a pass rushing extraordinaire that is still very raw at that position because he moved from quarterback to linebacker at North Carolina. So there are some linebackers here that are really intriguing for the Seahawks to consider at pick 56 or wherever they're on the board. And even the edge position, I don't think the Seahawks will pick a defensive end, but it is worth noting Aziz Ojolari out of Georgia, who a lot of people thought was the number one pass rushing defensive end in this class. He is still on the board. There are medical concerns there, so maybe that's something worth monitoring. But if he falls to 56, Pete Carroll and John Schneider might be looking at best player available scenario there. Joseph Asai out of Texas, another one that maybe makes some sense. One of my favorite defensive ends in this class, Carlos Basham, Boogie Basham out of Wake Forest, a bigger defensive end that I think is going to be playing the base spot. He might be another one if he's there at 56 that maybe Seattle at least looks at. But again, I would be surprised if they go there. I think if they're going to go defense, it's going to be either cornerback, defensive tackle, or linebacker. I know fans don't want to hear that, but KJ Wright's not coming back as of right now. I mean, it could still happen. They haven't ruled it out, but that Sam linebacker spot is a gaping hole on defense that they need to fill, and Bobby Wagner's not getting any younger. So drafting another linebacker might be in the cards. I think those three positions, cornerback taking obviously the highest priority, will be ones the Seahawks will be looking at with that second round selection at pick 56. You can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. Follow Locked on Seahawks on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and the all-new Odyssey app. That's A-U-D-A-C-Y. When I return on Monday, Rob Rang will be joining me. We're going to break down all of Seattle's draft picks. Maybe they'll just stick with three. Maybe they'll end up with seven or eight picks. You never know with John Schneider. So we're going to be looking at Seattle's 2021 draft class and maybe starting to dive into some of the priority undrafted free agents that are signed as well. Enjoy the draft weekend. Go Hawks.